Um, we are transitioning this morning into a three-week series culminating, obviously, or its purpose around Back to Church Sunday, which is next Sunday. The series is entitled Engage, Invest, and Invite, and this morning we're going to be talking about engaging. To do so, I want to take a moment and I just want to ask people to think through what's transpiring in the world today as we kind of watch things move in a manner that would appear to be going out of control. I don't know about you, but as I watch the news, as I look at what's going on in the world, it seems as if culture around us is sort of in this downward spiral and getting worse each and every day. And honestly, at times, my natural inclination in that is just to kind of tuck myself in, hold down the fort, and just wait for the worst to happen, or what I would call uh, being a holy huddle. What do I mean by that? Oftentimes in our world, as culture seems to be moving in a direction that is anti-Christian or less in the values of Christian principles, we as followers of Christ have an option. We can either choose to continue to engage that culture and share the love of Christ with them, or we can become what I would call again is a holy huddle. We can come to church, do our things, say that the world outside is bad, not to engage it, and just come and seek refuge. But one of the things that is compelling to me is that as we look in the scriptures, we come to find that there is this aspect of God, our Savior Jesus Christ, that is wholly unique. One of the things that I want to encourage you in is this, is if you study other religions, if you look at other religious structures, all of them all of them require an individual to seek after a god or gods. To do certain things, to attain certain things, to require certain things, and that if you are fortunate enough, you can find, locate, or be part of this god. The difference of the Christian faith is this. God seeks to engage us. And this morning, we're going to see a story about how God is choosing to engage his people. A question that I want to throw out to you this morning is simply this. Oftentimes, when we come to faith in Christ, we can become comfortable. We can become sort of blasé in our faith. And we can get to a point where we simply kind of begin to say this statement. I know Jesus, I'm saved, sort of some slang, it's all good, right? I've, I've got my faith, life is going well, so why do I need to concern myself with those who are lost? I want to just ask a question of you this morning. As we watch culture go through what it's going through, how many of you are desiring to engage the lost? I don't need to see hands, but truthfully, in your heart, how many of you want to engage the loss versus how many of you are just saying, I'm just going to kind of do my thing, go to church, and let the world fall apart? Think deeply on this, because as we look at this story in a moment, we see a God who seeks after the lost, not out of obligation, but out of passion, out of concern, out of desire. 
We're going to look at probably a familiar parable, a story of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Several of you might have read this in Sunday school. But I pray that as we do, we're going to discover a few certain principles. If you have your Bibles with you, I want to take a moment, we're going to read this parable, and then we're going to kind of unpack it in a way that I pray will encourage us, challenge us, and convict us to engage the culture around us. We find essentially that Jesus is doing his thing, he's doing ministry, and there's this group known as the Pharisees, and they are essentially the religious order of the day. Culturally, they would be the people that are going to church on Sunday. They're the people, for lack of a better word, that would be here or in other churches this morning. But what they're finding is is that Jesus isn't necessarily here, but he's out hanging with the people at the bar, or he's out hanging with the people at the tattoo parlor, or he's out hanging with the people who are the sinners and the vile. And they begin to look and they say, something's wrong. And so Jesus responds to them with this following parable. Let's follow along in Luke 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 to the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on its shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Friends, this morning we're going to see essentially a theological principle that Jesus gives out Parables are stories of Jesus utilized to help people understand a common point. He takes common everyday life to illustrate a deep theological principle. And essentially what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, hey, righteous living is important. I'm not denying the fact that it's important to have a relationship with God. It's important to know God. But what I'm going to tell you, friends, is that God's priority is for the lost, And God is going after the lost, and so should you. That's essentially the principle that's going on here. And so as we unpack this, I want to take a moment, and I want you to look at the first two verses. And what we're going to see is simply this, that at times, if left unchecked, church culture can become a holy huddle. Think about this for a moment. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law were thinking that they were so righteous, that they were so holy, that they had everything together, that they were missing what they should be doing. They had created a culture that looked at tax collectors or sinners as the vile, to the point that they would say, we don't even need to engage them. We don't even need to go to them. They're wrong, we are right. We have the little T truth, 
and we should not even interact with them. And interestingly enough, here you see Jesus, who's interacting with the tax collectors and the sinners, and we also recognize that the Pharisees are what? Judging him for it. Why is he hanging out with them? They're the vile people. And friends, we don't do that in our culture, do we? Lovingly, honestly, I want to ask you, those individuals in our lives who are different than us, who may have different values than us, who may say different things than us, who may actually even persecute us for our faith, are we willing to go to them as this parable employs? Are we willing to seek after them as God seeks after us? One of the things that is, imp is important, Jim Peterson, in his book, Evangelism as a Lifestyle, says this, change is hard to face, especially in areas of behavior. We don't like change, do we? But going into the world requires change. It implies participation in people's lives. It means to think, to feel, to understand, and to take seriously the values of those that we seek to win. We read in these first couple of verses, the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. I find it so interesting that the vilest of the vile were the ones who were gathering to hear Jesus, yet the holiest of the holy wanted nothing to do with him. Friends, look deep into your heart and ask a very simple question. Have we become pharisaical and sadduceical in how we go about church? Thinking that we're better than those who are the lost? Thinking that as our culture apparently is spiraling out of control that they're beyond saving? Are we becoming a holy huddle? Or are we engaging them? Are we engaging them as we're called to do as God has done? And lovingly, friends, what I want to tell all of you, and myself included, is we all were the sinners and the tax collectors. And God has sought after us. And so a question that you must ask yourself is this. How will I engage? What do I do? How should I do this? And I love this parable because I think as we look deeper into it, we discover some truths that are so important in our lives. Oftentimes, I've looked at this and I'm like, yep, Jesus says that there's a hundred sheep. He goes after the one. That's great. I know that God is concerned with me. Let's move on. It's a wonderful thing to hear. But I think as we begin to unpack this, we see the movement of God as the good shepherd. And it's a wonderful tool for us to demonstrate how we too should be approaching the lost with the story of the gospel. Friends, at times, if left unchecked, church culture can become a holy huddle. And I pray that we will not. I pray that we will be that lighthouse that goes out into the world, reaching them for our Lord and Savior Jesus. But when we look at these next couple of verses in this parable, we come to find that while God is pleased and concerned with righteous living, his priority is to engage the loss. Friends, I don't want to minimize growing in Christ. I don't want to minimize discipleship. I don't want to minimize fellowship. I don't want to minimize sanctification. 
But what I want to do say is this, that if all of those things are simply to make you feel more righteous so that you can go into a holy huddle, you've got it wrong. They're there so that we can go out and engage the loss with the blessing and the joy of the gospel. I want to take a minute and let's kind of walk through this for a minute. Jesus tells them this parable. Now, obviously, this is a story, so these characters don't physically exist, but a parable is something that individuals could easily relate to and understand. And he says, suppose of you, one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? Well, it's an obvious principle, but I want to state it again, that the shepherd is willing to seek after the lost sheep at all cost. Great, we've got that. That's a wonderful thing. But let's unpack this for a minute. Think through this. We have a shepherd that has a hundred sheep, and one of them goes astray. The demonstration here is the priority that God has for that lost sheep. But I want to talk about the seeking after that sheep to think about what God does to go through great lengths to bring the sheep back to him. It's not in the story. It's not detailed there. We just have essentially the words that he goes into the country to find the sheep. But to do that, I want to give you a true story that happened in my life that I pray would maybe give a little bit more consistency to what's going on in this story. Several years ago, probably uh, between seventh and ninth grade, my dad had this harebrained idea that he wanted to go and float the Platte River or a section of the Platte River with me. And so for a couple of months, he had this all planned. He went out and he bought this raft that it really wasn't a great raft. It was kind of one of those store-bought things that was a little bit more than a raft you would put in the swimming pool, but it certainly wasn't a seagoing vessel. And he decided that this is what we were going to do. And so this day, my dad and I got into this raft. My mom dropped us off. We started floating down this section of the Platte River. And my mom was the one that would meet us sort of at the end point of our journey. And I don't know about you, but in the beginning, things started off and we were all excited about traveling down the Platte River for about 10 minutes. And then it got boring. And then it got hard. But interestingly enough, as we were coming around this corner, both my dad and I heard this gut-wrenching sound of some animal that obviously was hurting and struggling and near death. We had no idea what it was, but as we rounded the bend, we came to find that there was a lamb that had gone down to the river to get a drink, and it had fallen into the mud and could not get out. And all of the other sheep that were with it had left it to die on its own. And I want to talk about this for a minute, because my dad and I had an option. We could just continue sailing on and say, cum se cum sa, such is life. Or we could choose to do what we could to go and investigate and try to save this sheep. And so we did. And what I'm going to tell you is this. We were in clothes and we got messy. 
we got into that mud and that sheep was so weak and scared and concerned that as we tried to dig it out, we got mud all over us. That thing kicked, it screamed, it didn't want to know what was going on. It thought that we were there to hurt it. And as we dug this sheep out, the funny thing was, we knew that it was too weak to go and do anything on its own to get out. But after it had been saved and had a few minutes to kind of rest and figured out that it was now free, it gleefully climbed over the hill to go find the other sheep. Now that's a story, but I look at that and I wonder if that's somewhat of the aspect of what God might do for one of you. Think through this for a minute. Oftentimes we think that maybe that sheep was just bad. Maybe that sheep kind of went off on its own. But in this story, perhaps this sheep went with the others, trusting that it was going to get a drink, trusting those that are around it, and to no fault of its own, life happens and then that sheep is stuck. And then those that are around that sheep abandon it. Friends, oftentimes you might be in your life where you are that sheep. Maybe you've trusted individuals. Maybe you've trusted a church. Maybe you've trusted people that you think would have brought you life. And for some reason, maybe they betrayed you. Or maybe they did not. But you're doing the best you can. You're trusting life. And the next thing you know, as you go to get a drink of water... Life happens, and unfortunately, that drink sinks you deep into the mud. And the story that I want to tell you here is the fact that the Father is going to seek after you at all cost. He's going to get muddy. He's going to get you out. And that's what I want to show you this morning, is the passion that the Father has to get that lost sheep out at all cost. Now perhaps in this story, maybe all the sheep should have been doing their thing and this is the one sheep who has that personality that's I'm going to do it my way, I'm strong, I don't need the shepherd, I can do what I want to do, and they go off in their life and the next thing you know, as they charge out into it, they become lost. Is that anybody's experience? Maybe you were in church. Maybe you had gone to church and finally you get to college and you're kind of like, you know what, enough of this. I'm going to go and I'm going to experience the world. And maybe you find yourself lost, but what I want to tell you is, is that that shepherd will always seek you because we have a God who seeks and is passionate about the lost. And that's what I want to show you this morning. We talk about a shepherd who seeks after the sheep, but there's so many stories that could be extrapolated from this. And interestingly enough, the Pharisees were looking and they had already discredited the, the disvalue of those sheep. They're not us. They don't look like us. They're not going to bring, quote unquote, a prophet. We don't need to worry about that. Don't engage. And what does God do? He leaves the 99 to go after the one. And I want to pause for a minute because he leaves the 99 to go after the one. And friends, what I want to tell you is this, that all of us, all of us, no matter what our story is, a sheep that went to drink water and got stuck, a sheep that wanted to do it on their own, are that one. 
then God gets out of this boat in this analogy, stops his cruise on the Platte River, and gets deep into the mud and digs down and grabs you out, the muck and the mire and dirties, so that you can be free. Does that sound familiar? And friends, it's with that passion, it's with that love, it's with that understanding that we should go and love on people who are lost. The shepherd is willing to seek the sheep at all cost. And then interestingly enough, we read, and, and it says in these next verses, does he not leave the 99 to open to go to the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it. And then in verse five it says, and when he finds it, watch this, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on its shoulders and goes home. Friends, I, I think it's so interesting here because the next thing is, is not only do we see the shepherd being willing to seek the lost sheep at all costs, but we also see the fact that the shepherd comforts the lost sheep and rejoices when it's found. Now, I've thought about this for a minute, and we look at that, and it's kind of a simple story, but I think it's so important for us to extrapolate that in our own lives. What don't we see in the story? We don't see the shepherd going up to that sheep saying, you no good, monkey loving, whatever, what are you doing? Why can you not behave? How come you're here? You're in trouble. Get over here, dragging it and pulling it, and just saying, come with me, and creating it as just a number. And friends, I want to lovingly tell you this, is how many of us in our engagement with the lost treat them as just a number? We look at them and we just try to drag them to Jesus and say, because you're different, you need to be like us. And why can't you do this? Or why can't you change? Where did you go? It's your problem. It's your fault. Is that a God that we worship? No, the shepherd goes over to the sheep, no matter what the situation is, seeks after it, goes after it, and when he finds it, he doesn't go over and say, I told you so, or you're not good enough, or see, or you're wrong, or you're not right, or you're not like me, or you're not good enough to be here, or you're not worthy. What does he do? He goes over to the sheep who's weak, and comforts it and puts it on his shoulders and carries that sheep home. Friends, I don't know about you, but when I was not a Christian, I am so glad for a God and friends who knew Jesus and picked me up and put me on their shoulders and carried me home. They didn't kick me out. They didn't tell me I was wrong. They didn't tell me I was not of them. They knew I was lost, and they kept coming after me, kept engaging me, kept loving me, even though they didn't agree with what I thought or believed in at that time. So friends, what I'm saying is this, when we engage the lost, I'm not saying that we agree with what they're saying. But man, are there ways that we can wholly hurt our testimony when how, the manner of how we go about engaging them. Lovingly, 
I want to ask you this. Are you a shepherd who goes after the sheep and just drags it home or scolds it for being lost? Or are you a shepherd who goes and picks it up and puts that sheep on its, or puts the the sheep on your shoulders? And interestingly enough, too, think about this for a minute. It's a lot easier just to drag the sheep along, isn't it? It's a greater burden to carry that sheep on your shoulders. And I love that part of the story because this is the truth behind it. Friends, when we engage the lost, there is a burden that we bear. But that burden is not alone. We're able to go through and do that with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But there's a cost. There's effort that needs to be taken and put forth. And God is the one who chooses to do that. The shepherd comforts the sheep and rejoices when it's found. The other thing that I think is so important is this, is how many of us rejoice when somebody comes to Christ? How many of us are gratefully excited when someone makes a profession of faith in Jesus? We look and we read the story, it continues on, and when he finds it, he joyfully This is interesting. Joyfully, don't miss that word. He doesn't put on its shoulders and say, gosh darn it, he joyfully puts it on its shoulders and then goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors and together and he says, rejoice with me. And so one of the things that I think is important is this. Again, Jim Peterson in Evangelism is a Life Site says, we need to accept the non-Christian as he is or she is. Go for the cure and then help him or her pick up his way through the things that are destroying him. Whenever we get this sequence turned around, we become reformers rather than offerers of true healing. Let's unpack that for a minute. Oftentimes what we want to do is this. We want to go and say, look, I'm going to help you when you've got things figured out, when it's not hard, when you're not different than me, when you're not that individual who disagrees with Christianity, then I'm going to begin to engage you. Or after they've come to Christ and they're still learning and growing, we think, you know what, you should have all of this together and you need to look this way, talk this way, act this way before you're really accepted by God. And when that occurs, what we do is, is, as he's saying, we become reformers We don't actually offer true healing. And lovingly, friends, can I tell you this? Even after we've come to Christ, we all are in continual need of healing. And so we can either try to reform or we can heal. Not through compromising the word, not through changing the message of the gospel, not through changing what is written in scripture but the manner and the joy and the love of how we go about doing so. We can either care and love, or we can hate and look and judge. And so friends, the other thing that I think is important to see is not only do we see the shepherd comforting the long sheep and rejoicing when it's found, he then encourages the community to rejoice with him. We look in verse 6 again, and it says, Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Demonstrating indeed the passion that the shepherd has for his lost people. 
the joy that he has to go before them and say, come and let's celebrate this sheep that has been lost. And so friends, I do ask again, what do we do as a community when we discover someone who comes to know Jesus? Do we rejoice with him or her? Do we encourage them? Is this a joyous event in the church? Or again, as a holy huddle, do we kind of do our own thing and just continue to try to kind of wait out our days until Jesus returns? And then also we see this to kind of make that point even deeper. Jesus continues and he says, I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Again, that principle essentially saying that Jesus is concerned with seeking the lost and bringing them to himself. Now it's good to know Christ. It's good to have a holy life. It's good to be a disciple of his. But what Jesus is doing here is he's saying, be careful that we don't take that relationship to a pharisaical or a sadduceical level, thinking that because we are followers of Christ, we are more holy, better than those who are lost. And because they are lost, we don't engage with them because when we do, we become defiled. God says, engage, go after, seek at all cost. Comfort, love, and encourage them to Jesus. Essentially what we see here is is that not only does the shepherd encourage the community to rejoice with him, but also heaven rejoices more over the lost sheep that has has been found. So think through this for a minute. All of the heavenly hosts are rejoicing when that sheep is found. I have no idea. I don't think that this is true. But maybe heaven was rejoicing when my dad and I dug that one little sheep out of the mud in the Platte River. But friends, I want to I make a point here. Take a moment and think through this. How many of us have been lost and have been found? All of our hands should go up. All of our hands should go up. None of us are righteous. None of us are holy. None of us can get to God on our own. And so if heaven rejoices when the lost has been found, I want to take a moment. I want you to look around the room. I want you to look at every individual face in this room and recognize that at a point, whenever it was, however it was, when you came to Christ, there was rejoicing in heaven. Deep rejoicing. Great gladness. A great party was going on because you, as the lost sheep, came to Jesus. Look around the room for a minute. Every single face in here is rejoiced over when you come to Jesus Christ because we worship a God who engages the lost, who is passionate about the lost and has tremendous value for the lost and puts great cost to get the lost to himself. Heaven rejoices more over the lost sheep that has been found than the righteous who need no repentance. 
That's what Jesus is saying here. And then interesting enough, as he finishes that parable, he goes and he does this, and this is the next point that I would like to give to you. In case we didn't get it the first time, right? In case we didn't understand it the first time, we are to engage the lost and not become a holy huddle. Why do I bring that up? The next parable of the lost coin is teaching the exact same spiritual principle. He's just saying it in a different way. It's kind of one of those things, how many of you remember back in school, right? When you're looking for an exam, one of the cues that you would remember is if the teacher says something, and then they say it in a, kind of again, but in a different way, you need to pay attention because most likely that's going to be on the exam. So if they come up to you and they say, in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, right? I'm here to tell you that Columbus sailed the ocean blue in 1492. What? Probably want to write that down. And I'm not a betting man, but if I were, I would tell you that if I was on that exam, I guarantee that that question is going to be on that test. Free advice for anybody that's taking tests. So Jesus, what he does here is he says, let me tell you this parable that has a deep theological principle. Let me show you that God is concerned with the lost. Let me show you how valuable you are to him. But for those of you that may not necessarily resonate or understand sheep, or maybe you're someone that's like, yeah, you know, I don't really work with them, but maybe some, I'm somebody who's a tax collector. Let me give you another one. And then he starts talking about coins. And the next thing you know is all of the tax collector's ears go over there and they're like, I can relate to that one. Now I can get it. Now I can understand. And so he continues on. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? Again, Look at the action that is taken by this woman in this parable. Lighting a lamp, sweeping the house. And searching carefully until she finds it. Friends, what I want to encourage you in is, is that when God is searching after you, nothing will stop him from getting you to himself. We worship a God who is passionate about finding the loss. And if he is coming after you, you will be found, period. The question is, is will you receive him when he finds you? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's essentially the exact parallel story, teaching the same spiritual principles, just stated in a different way, so that people in Jesus' day can get an understanding to what he is teaching. Individuals who maybe worked with sheep or understood the sheep aspect would resonate with that. Others who maybe were individuals who were dwelling in the towns or in the cities who weren't in sort of the agrarian culture but maybe worked with money would resonate with this parable of the lost coin.
And so again, Jesus kind of turns and he says, friends, if you didn't get to the first time, I'm telling you that God is there to engage the lost, and so should you. We are to engage the lost and not become a holy huddle. Simply this, one of the things that I would say in how we go about our living is that, are we truly engaging the lost? Are we engaging the lost knowing that there might be personal cost to us? It takes time to find them, meaning it, this analogy, to go through the field, to wander it. I have no idea how big this field was that the shepherd had to go find the sheep. I have no idea how big the house of this lady was to go and find her coin. But I can tell you that they're willing to do so until they find it. And so my question to you is this, how far are you willing to travel in this analogy to engage someone who is lost? Trusting that God is the one who will do the work, our job is just to present the gospel, just to love them and to love them as Jesus does. But are you willing to do so? Or, or in this analogy, when the sheep was lost, would you have even gone after it? Would you have even gone after that one sheep? Or would you have said, you know what, I've got 100 of them down to 99. A little mathematical here, that's all right. You know, it's just one loss. I've still got 99 sheep. Hopefully I can recoup my losses and keep moving forward. Or the next question is this. Maybe you would have started and said, yeah, I'll go look for that sheep. But then darkness came and you got hungry and you got tired of the pursuit. And you began to say, you know, this pursuit is taking too long. It's too hard. There's too many challenges there. The land that I know, if this sheep is anywhere, I've got to go over a mountain and through the sea and, you know, over the hills we go to get to it. And so I'll take some time. I'll devote a day. But after that day, if that sheep's not been found, then I'm too busy and I'm going to go back and do my own thing. And the reason that I bring this up, friends, is that perhaps... The sheep that God has put in your life is one where you have to cross a great divide, where you have to go and search hard and low. And maybe you've been searching for a long, long time, and you're wondering, is it worth continuing? And what I want to encourage you in is this, is that God will not stop if he's seeking that person until he's found it, and neither should we. Keep going. Keep loving keep engaging. And friends, should we be fortunate enough to find them or should we be fortunate enough to have spiritual conversations with them? Lovingly before you beat them down for their difference of opinion or understanding, may we remember we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but the principalities of darkness. They are not our enemy. The devil is. And so when we go to them, rather than beating them down or dragging them or kicking them to our home so that we can corral them and contain them, may we lovingly dig them out of the dirt and put them on our shoulders and carry them home. Friends, the take-home truth is simply this. As followers of Christ, we are not to become a holy huddle. We are called to engage the lost. And may we recognize that when the lost is found, when the lost is found, there is great rejoicing in heaven.
Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning. We thank you for you. We thank you for this parable, the parable of a lost sheep and the parable of a lost coin. I pray that it encourages our hearts. I pray that it challenges our hearts. I pray that it shows us just how passionate God is in seeking after us. I pray that it demonstrates the uniqueness of the Christian faith, which is the only religious system in which a God pursues his creation. And Father, may we realize that that is unique and true of the Christian faith. But Lord, may we also recognize that not only does God pursue his creation, but he pursues it with a passion and with a joy. He desires the lost to be found. He wants the lost to be found. And Father, thank you so much for me, even personally in my life, because I once was lost. And to be honest with you, in my life, I wanted nothing of you. And yet you kept seeking me, and when you found me, you put me on your shoulders gently and lovingly and carefully. And little by little, through your love, your mercy, and your grace, you moved in my heart to the power of the Holy Spirit as I grew, as I questioned, as I struggled, as I learned. And little by little, I came to understand you more. But Father, even today, Even today, in this pulpit, many, many years past the day that you picked me up out of the muck and mire, you continue to carry me. You continue to carry us. Gently, lovingly, cautiously, and carefully. Father, at times you rebuke us. At times you move into our our world when we might be going astray. And Father, thank you for your grace and your mercy, which is new each and every morning. Thank you for being the gentle good shepherd who goes after his sheep and cares for them. Father, we are so grateful for it. Father, we take a moment, and wherever we might be, maybe we are the individual who knows you and, and loves you. Lord, I pray that in our hearts you would encourage us to continue to be that gentle shepherd. Father, maybe today we realize that we are that lost sheep. And I pray that somehow, someway, in recognizing through this parable that that God is pursuing you and he's not going to give up until you are found, that that would encourage your heart. Perhaps this is the day. Perhaps this is the day when you will be found. Father, maybe some of you have been found, but in being found, it's not necessarily been the best relationship. Perhaps maybe after having come to Christ, individuals or the church or wherever we've been has been one that says you need to look like us, talk like us, and act like us and do what we do in order to be truly loved by God. And in that, perhaps maybe we've been herded. Herded into a corral that shouldn't be there. Father, we're not saying that we shouldn't be transformed We're not saying that our lives should move away from sin. But Father, the manner of how we are doing that is so important to see. Because all of us are being sanctified. And so may we do so graciously to one another, carefully to one another, lovingly to one another, as the shepherd has done. We thank you. We love you. We pray these things in your name, dear Jesus.
We ask it by the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. And all God's people say, Amen.